Ephesians 1, 3 through 14. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love, he predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace, with which he has blessed us in the beloved. In him, we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of his will, according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in him, things in heaven and things on earth. In him, we have obtained an inheritance having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will, so that we, who were the first to hope in Christ, might be to the praise of his glory. In him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance, until we acquire possession of it, to the praise of his glory." The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God will stand forever. As Silas mentioned, this is an exciting time in our church's life as we have officer nominations open uh, as of today. Uh, The forms are are back uh, on a chair by the door over there, and uh, they're also online at kingscrossva.org slash nominate. Uh, It's a hidden link, so you have to know that. Uh, slash nominate. Uh, But it's a really exciting time, a time when we begin the process of of training our first elders and deacons. Uh, This is the beginning of a process. You're not electing them yet. uh, You're nominating them. So you don't need to, uh, you know, hold back a nomination if you feel like, yeah, I don't know about them. Uh, You know, if you don't know about somebody, but you think, hey, maybe they could be a good officer, uh, nominate them. Take as many forms as you want. Nominate as many people as you want. We will only technically officially consider uh, nominations from members of King's Cross, but nominations from non-members will be taken as votes of, you know, helpful information uh, anyway. So if, uh, if someone seems to you to be a leader, a potential leader, uh, now this is, then go ahead, uh, this is a fun time because I know that probably a lot of people in this room, uh, you know, a year, year and a half from now, may be officers uh, elders or deacons, and have no idea that you will be. There are a lot of people in this church that uh, joined not hoping for a position <laughs> or a title. Uh, and it's a beautiful thing how God often raises up uh, leaders who don't necessarily see themselves as leaders. Uh, God loves to use the weak to do big things. Um, so we are excited, especially to see God and His strength shine through this process. Um, so uh, as we continue in Ephesians, uh, this is, uh, again, a, a cinnamon roll of a passage. It, is, it has layer upon layer upon layer uh, of glory uh, <laughs> about who God is and what he has done for us. And, uh, you know, I used a sports analogy at the beginning of the service, and if you'll forgive me, I'll use another that uh, you might relate to a little better. But 
you don't have to go too far back to remember the 2019 World Series. The, the Nationals, Washington Nationals, won uh, the World Series. They finished the fight, right? I actually, I think I saw someone wearing a sweatshirt to that effect this morning. You, they finished the fight. They won. Uh, they took home the trophy, trash cans banging and all. Um, and uh, with, uh, even with everything, all the scandal with Houston and the advantages they had, the Nationals overcame and won, right? Um, and the streets of D.C. were packed for the parade, tens of thousands, maybe hundreds of thousands of people. Um, definitely hundreds of thousands, maybe millions, bought paraphernalia and, and merchandise with the Nats logo on it. Not long before that, the Washington Mystics won the WNBA championship. And then not before that, long before that, the Washington Capitals have won the Stanley Cup. So there's, there's a lot of Washington sports merchandise going around. And um, it's a good time to be found wearing Washington sports merchandise because there's a lot of victory going around. There's a lot of reasons to say, yes, I'm glad that I support this team. And, and there's an image of actually wearing that shirt or wearing that sweatshirt, right? There's a sense when you put on one of those shirts that you are just, it's like you are the players. It's like you are the team. Like you are finding your identity in a way in the team. You're also supporting them in a way, but, but there's a sense of saying, yes, I share in this victory. And sports has an interesting way of doing that, of, of enticing you to say, hey, come join and be a fan of this team. And, uh, and you, you might be a fan through many, many hard years, but when the years of victory come, uh, it becomes all the sweeter. And uh, and, you know, it's not just sports, too, but there are all kinds of things that can draw us in and entice us like that. Uh, it, we can find, and people, we can be draw, drawn in by, I don't know, all kinds of other ways that we might wear th- these kinds of clothes or those kinds of clothes. Uh, where you live, uh, what you drive, uh, what you do with your free time, uh, what, you're, what you do with, you know, your weekdays what you do with your weekends. Like there are all kinds of ways we can find our identity, uh, who you vote for. There are a lot of ways we can want that we do find our identity. And, uh, and so this passage is very connected with that in a lot of ways because we can be found in the Washington Nationals and rise and fall with their victories and failures. Uh, but being found in Christ is what this passage is about. And there's a lot of similarities because being found in Christ is something that all believers share. It means his victory over death is our victory over death. Not just by imagination. Like, I, I, I might wear a Nationals t-shirt, but I know I'm not a Nationals player, right? I'm not a Nationals coach. I might try to coach them, and I might show up and pretend I'm a player, but they're not going to let me in, right? Uh, however, with Christ, right, being found in Christ means that his victory really is really is my victory. And, and, and when, I, uh, when I die, I will be welcomed at uh, heaven's gate as though I had his actual righteousness, as though his victory was really my victory. I will be able to enter. I, I can't go into Nat Stadium for, uh, for practice as though I'm a player. No, I can't, even if I wear all the regalia I have. But in Christ... I will be welcomed as though I were him, Christ himself, his righteousness welcomed into the heavenly uh, glory there. 
His payment for our sin means that our sins are no longer counted against us. The love His Father has for Christ means that that's the love which, which, with which the Father loves us. All right, so again, God's love for us isn't contingent on us keeping our lives together. It's contingent on Jesus giving His life for us once for all. And His mercy isn't just a one-time offer. His mercy never ends. I know in some church cultures or even in the things that we believe but don't say, sometimes it's just an in-between-the-lines kind of a thing. It's a, it's a culture thing. We don't realize it, but we don't talk about as much our need for forgiveness, maybe. Like, forgiveness is what people who haven't come to Christ, don't believe in Jesus' need. That's what forgiveness is for. For people who are living this life uh, that is definitely not obeying God, right? And, you know, that they're doing all the bad things you could ever think of. They need forgiveness. And we can assume that we also may have once needed forgiveness, but now our lives are pretty much together. And it can be really slippery because when we think about this, we begin to expose in our, in our thoughts, in our, in our hearts maybe, that a little bit of insecurity with our knowledge of how we are saved, a little bit of insecurity of what it means to be in Christ, a little bit of insecurity of, no, wait a minute, is it okay? Like, what if I'm a Christian and then I realize I've been sinning? What if I'm a Christian and then someone shows me a way that I've been sinning against them? Is it okay for me to admit that? Is it okay for me to be found out as one who's not living perfectly? I know that now that I say that out loud, you're thinking, well, of course it is. And yet when those moments happen, it can be one of the hardest things to admit. Admit to ourselves, admit to the other person that, yes, I did wrong you. Yes, God, I have wronged you in this this moment too. Now, we... um, we, we might talk, you know, in a lot of churches, I know instead we talk more about how to be better people. Uh, but Paul doesn't start with that in Ephesians here. Paul uh, does instruct the church on how to uh, follow Christ, how to honor God better. Uh, he does that very much in, uh, in chapter, it's kind of neatly divided really, in Ephesians chapter 4, 5, and 6. Uh, but he really spends all of chapters 1, 2, and 3 talking first really about God's great love and the forgiveness that he offers to us and, and how it is that we come to be in relationship with him, not just to be at peace with him, but to be in his favor. And so uh, we're going to look again at this, because Paul seems to emphasize it so much, to look at how we're forgiven, how we're found, and how we're forged together. How we're forgiven in Christ, and being forgiven and being a part of his family, how we're found in him, and what that means, and then what it means to be forged together as a body. So, uh, first, to be forgiven Now, this is the thing that continually just takes my breath when I really dive into it, because you you read through Ephesians, and then maybe you might be led to start reading through parts of Romans, and then you might read through parts of the Gospels, and you see that, and even through all of the Old Testament, you see that there's this major theme that God is painting for us, that God seems to enjoy showing His mercy 
and favor to people who aren't seeking him at all. And that frustratingly, there are many people who are trying just to be good people who end up missing him. I mean, certainly all throughout the Gospels, you see this time and time again. That, 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 that the people who are just trying to be good people and trying to cover their tracks and trying to live a life where they don't need forgiveness end up missing Jesus entirely when he came, right? And yet Jesus came and showed mercy and love. And the people that seemed to understand Jesus the best were the tax collectors, were the mobsters, were the thieves, were the prostitutes, were all the sinful people who weren't living the life of trying to be the best people. The self-awareness that one needs to come to God for forgiveness is what so often it gets in the way of, of of our connection with Jesus today as well as back in Jesus' day. So we look at what Paul says here. And he proclaims, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who's blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. The word holy and blameless indicate that we're pure, that we're set apart and pure. We're we're spotless. And that might be how we try to live, but but Romans and so so many other places in Scripture explain to us that we, we cannot live and we are not blameless apart from Christ. So in order for us to be holy and blameless, in order for us to be that way, there has to be something that happens with our sin. What is it? It is our sin that gets in the way. And we see this in Isaiah when he sees God face to face in his courtroom. He realizes, woe is me. I am unclean. I am not blameless. And and then there's an angel that comes and through placing a burning coal on his lips says, here, your sin is atoned for. Your sin is taken away. Your guilt is taken away. In the same way, in, in Revelation chapter 1, I think John sees uh, uh, Jesus come to him, and John falls at his feet and says, Woe is me. Woe is me. He fell at his feet as though dead. We need this blamelessness, but how are we going to have it? Well, in Ephesians set, verse 7, 1 verses 7 through 10, uh, it begins by saying, In Christ we have redemption through his blood. And this redemption through his blood is, means the forgiveness of our trespasses, and it is according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished on us. Now, redemption is a, it is a ransoming, it is a delivering from, from uh, a liberation, a emancipation. Uh, there is a, the idea here is payment made on our behalf. And the kind of payment that is made through the redemption that Christ gives is the only payment that can be made, the only, what's the word I'm looking for, currency that can be accepted in the place of our sin is blood. It is, and it is, uh, blood must be paid. Now, let me explain this. If, if, uh, if as kids uh, we were playing outside with a ball, or I guess today kids still do that, play outside with a ball, maybe with, maybe with a drone, I don't know, whatever kids are playing with, um, on a beautiful sunny day, and the ball or the drone happens to fly through a neighbor's window. Ooh, bad moment, bad news. Now the neighbor might be angry, the neighbor might forgive you, uh, might not forgive you, who knows, but uh, that, even if they forgive you or not forgive you, there's the issue of the broken window. The, the window should be fixed. 
But that process uh, is going to require some cost. That's either going to be fixed at the cost of the neighbor, even if the neighbor says, you know what, I know it was an accident, and I know you probably can't afford a new window. Don't worry, I'll take care of it. The neighbor takes that cost on themselves to fix it. Or maybe the neighbor, you know, you know, maybe you say, you know, let me try to pay it back. And the neighbor will say, okay, we'll try to pay that back. We'll work something out. Here's how much it costs. You mow my lawn 20 times and we're good. You know, whatever it may be. But there is a cost that has to be paid. And, and someone has to do it. So only the thing is, our sins are not like a simple accidental breaking of a window. Our, our sins are bigger than that. Our sins, uh, we might think that it's just a small oops, but our sins, the problem is, you know, Jesus said it is out from, out of what's inside of us come uh, the things that make us unclean, right? So it's, it, there, there's a rebellion against God deep within. There's a profound self-centeredness deep within us, a profound insecurity where we defend ourselves and we, we want to be God. There's all kinds of things going on deep within us. And out of that comes the things that that we see as sins, the manifestation of that. And even what's going on in our hearts is sin. And, and what it is, is nothing short of, of rebellion against the creator of the universe or a desire to be him. And so those sins deserve nothing short of death. Death. And this is what is seen all throughout Scripture. And it's interesting that, that this idea of death being what pays for sins is not a simple Christian idea, right? It's, it's not. It can't, it can, you cannot simply uh, you know, pass it aside as some kind of Western thing or a Christian thing. That, that all throughout world history, we see many, many cultures come to this conclusion. For thousands of years, we've seen cultures, we've seen artifacts, we've seen evidence, manuscripts, writings on walls, all kinds of things indicating that that's, uh, these cultures are, are realizing, you know what, what we've done wrong uh, should result in someone's death. And that's why you have some cultures even sacrificing their own children. Because deep down, eventually, when you think about it, we all realize that this, that, that what we've done to be made right with God requires death requires a sacrifice of a life. And in the Old Testament, that, that's what we had. In the Old Testament, God gave uh, the sacrificial, the temple, tabernacle, sacrificial system uh, where animals would be sacrificed, where life would be, uh, where blood would be shed for, uh, for the sake of us, uh, for us to be forgiven, to, to be cleansed, uh, to be made blameless, right, and holy. But those sacrifices, we know from the book of Hebrews, are only a shadow of what was to come. That, that ultimately those animals could never pay for our sins. And in all those ancient, other, other ancient cultures, that, that the sacrifices, the human sacrifices that were made could never pay for their sins either, because as we read earlier, the only Redeemer that would ever truly pay for our sins would have to be both man and God. Would have to be, yes, fully man, and yet fully God. And so God showed his love for us in this, Romans 5 says, that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. That this was a sacrifice that had to happen. This is how the payment needed to take place. Now, now we might, and we, as we dig further into this, we, we see more and more again 
of how God loves to seem to show his mercy to those who are not seeking him. Last week we talked about adoption and how adoption back in that world, in the Roman Empire, in that civilization, uh, was totally different. You would only adopt somebody not for their benefit. You would adopt somebody for your benefit. Maybe you are childless and you have an inheritance and you want to pass that on and not see your, your empire, your mini-empire that you've built, your, your whatever that is, uh, not see your family's name dissipate when you die. And so you want to find someone who is qualified, someone who is going to take care of your possessions and manage them well so that your family name would extend for generations, right? So you would adopt somebody who is not the firstborn of their family, adopt somebody to be the firstborn of your family to carry on that name. But God our Father seems to love to adopt the worst (laughs) of us. He time and time again even in, in Jesus uh, calling Matthew the tax collector to be his disciple. Uh, in, in so many ways, uh, we see that he tells a parable of, of a Pharisee and a tax collector who went up to the temple to pray. And the Pharisee said, God, I thank you. I'm not like other men. I'm not extortioners, unjust, the adulterers, or even like this tax collector. Look at all the things I do. But the tax collector wouldn't even lift his eyes up to heaven, but beat his chest saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. And Jesus says, I tell you, this tax collector went down to his house justified and not the Pharisee. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled and the one who humbles himself will be exalted. Uh, William William Lane says that the kingdom is that which God gives and that which a man receives. The kingdom is that which God gives and that which a man or woman, any of us, can only simply receive. We cannot earn it. And and it it is an amazing thing in the startling character of the grace of God that he wills to give the kingdom to those who have no claim upon it. And so we're, we're driven back and we're mindful of who is writing the letter to the Ephesians. That it's Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus. And that those who would have read even that sentence would have remembered that Paul was not always an apostle, but he was first Saul of Tarsus. And remember, I, I did this a few weeks ago, but and I, think, I think it's helpful to kind of bookmark the Bible with little uh, mnemonic devices or things. Uh, but, you know, why was six afraid of seven? Because seven, eight, nine. Right? You've heard that joke before. Uh, well, why were the early Christians afraid of Saul of Tarsus? Because of Acts 7, 8, and 9. All right? Because of Acts 7, 8, and 9. Because in Acts 7, 8, and 9, Saul of Tarsus was ravaging the church. In 7, uh, he, he's supervising the death, the stoning of Stephen, the first martyr. Uh, in 8, he's going aggressively after the church all over. And in 9, he's on his way to Damascus to do even more damage when Jesus stops him. In so many ways, you have both one who is trying to do his best to honor God, twistedly enough, uh, by persecuting Christians. So he's both the best of the best and the worst of the worst, and Jesus grabs him and shows him that it was not his goodness at all that gave him favor, but it was Christ and his, the redemption through his blood that would bring him into good relationship with him. And so uh, we see that forgiveness is something uh, that, that we need provided by the blood of Christ. And, and in that, we have, because of this forgiveness, we have a place 
in Christ. We have a place in Christ. So we're forgiven in Him and we are found in Him. Forgiven in Him and then found in Him. Now these believers are found both in Ephesus and in Christ, physically in Ephesus, but also in Christ. And if you uh, look through all, all of Ephesians, I believe, I think, uh, when, he, when Paul talks about being in him or being in Christ, that phrase is used like, some, I think, 36 times. It is a major theme. It is uh, an idea of identity of who we are. Uh, there are many ways we can be found in something. Uh, and, and, and so let's, let's look at this passage again. So blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. He's blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless. Uh, and that's giving down to uh, verse 6, to the praise of his glorious grace, which he's blessed us in the beloved. Verse 7, in him we have redemption. And so it's important for us to know that we who believe in Jesus have been united with him, in him. We are one with him. And this means so much, and I think I'm not going to try to explain it all in one sermon or in five minutes. Uh, I think the entire series on Ephesians, we're going to be dipping into this. I don't know if you knew, but there was a, uh, the, the, the men's J-curve Bible study is, uh, we've been talking about union with Christ for like five months now. <laughs> so it's been, there are so many layers to it. But being in him provides immense security and confidence. Now, at first, I want to start with this, that uh, it, just in case we need a reminder, but I think we do, because whenever we think and, and look, see the word predestination or predestined or, or foreknew or anything like that, we can often, so often think of that word in like a cold sense, uh, in a sense of, uh, I don't know, like, well, I'll get into it in another sermon, how about that? But uh, I want to emphasize this, that, that it, it's in the beloved that it is in love he predestined us for adoption as sons who did not deserve it, that he has blessed us in the beloved, that, that the love that the Father has for the Son, because our sins, we who did not deserve it, are paid for and we are redeemed by the blood of the Lamb and we're found in him, we too are loved the way the Father loves Jesus. So when Jesus came and was baptized and came out of the water and the Father said, this is my son whom I love, with whom I'm well pleased. Our forgiveness means that there are no sins left on our account. That although we still sin, we are simultaneously cleansed in him. That we are simultaneously both justified and sinners. That we, as the Father sees us, it, it, it is a bit of a paradox, but it's also crystal clear. It's not mushy. That we, though we still sin, are counted as sinless. That we, though the Father sees us wrestle with things, ultimately, at the end of the day, we have the security of knowing that our relationship with Him is, it, is as secure as if we have never sinned. I mean, imagine a relationship where you have, no one has ever broken trust ever, right? That'd be a very strong relationship. In the same way, our relationship with God the Father because of what Christ has done, so that even though we still sin, and we all do, 
that those who believe in Christ are counted as clean. Now, this is huge. Uh, this is huge when it comes to how we live our lives. It, if you can imagine, and this is not my original illustration, it's been handed down, and I forget who first told it to me. But, um, but it, it's like if you were on trial, and, uh, and all of your crimes were being listed against you. And and someone came, Jesus came, your representative, and took the penalty for all your sins. And the judge said, that's it. This person, you, are declared innocent. You are not guilty. All your sins, the sins you've done so far, the sins you have yet to do, have been paid for, punished by Jesus Christ, my son. Now that is a verdict that cannot be appealed. A verdict that is final. A verdict that is secure. A verdict that cannot be changed. That it is, the verdict is in and it can't change. Which, which, means when, which means I have immense security and confidence with all humility. Which means that this is a reality I need to adjust to because I am so accustomed to living as though my relationships uh, are really based on... Uh, or my, my sense of goodness, is really based on whether I've done more good things than bad things. Uh, when, and that gets in the way if someone says, hey, Paul, you know you've really hurt me in this way. Paul, when you did this, you really overstepped the line. That, that if I am insecure and I'm not living out of, out of the gospel, I will defend myself. I will deflect that. I, I will say, no, 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 let me find another way to twist this so that I'm not really to blame. But if I know that in Christ I am pure and forgiven, that the verdict is in, I suddenly have freedom to say, well, maybe you might be right. Let me hear you out. Let me see. Let me, let me hear that. Let me see and search my heart and pray that God would show me, uh, especially if there are multiple people that are coming to me for that. Welcome back. So, uh, so in this, this security that we have is indeed immense. There's a wonderful hymn that, uh, that there's a, a great hymnal that you, doesn't have any song, uh, doesn't have any uh, musical notes to it. It's called the Gadsby Hymnal. Not Gatsby, like Great Gatsby, but Gadsby with a D. And uh, you can buy this, you can download it off the internet. Uh, but there's this great uh, hymn uh, about comparing where we are in Christ with Noah. When Noah, with his favored few, was ordered to embark, eight human souls, a little crew, entered on board his ark, though every part he might secure with bar or bolt or pin. To make the preservation sure, Jehovah shut him in. And if you go back to Genesis 7, you'll notice that in verse 16 that it mentions that God shut the door of the ark from the outside, right? The waters then might swell their tides, the billows rage and roar. They could not stave the assaulted sides, nor burst the battered door. So souls that into Christ believe, quickened by vital faith, eternal life at once receive and never shall see death. Uh, in his own heart, the Christian puts no trust, but builds his hopes on him that opes and no man shuts and shuts and no man opes, opens, opes. In Christ his ark he safely rides, not wrecked by death or sin. How is it he so safe abides? The Lord has shut him in. 
Now, this is why the Apostle Paul in Philippians 3 could say, I have so many reasons for confidence in the flesh, so many reasons that I could list for how I'm the best Christian that ever could live, but those things ultimately at the end of the day will not save me. I know that only Christ can. And, and it is crazy how much, how many things we look to for our security. How many things we look to to be our ark, as you would, to be our Christ. To be the thing that will shelter us from whatever storm we face. Whether it be a financial storm, whether it be a relational storm. Whatever storm life may come at us, we all have those strategies, those arcs that we run to. But the only ark, the only shield, the only armor, the only anything we have that is secure is Christ. And, and there, I think it's important to mention too that, that we here are, are neither primarily, talking about arcs and, ele- and animals, right? But in a different way. We are neither primarily elephants nor donkeys. We are primarily sheep, first and foremost. And I think if you are active in politics, you have to remember what it really is to be a sheep. When you're voting, you have to remember that you are first and foremost a sheep. And and I would venture to think in this crazy country in which we live, like right four years ago when we started, we were like, wow, our country is so divided. And 2020 is like, yeah, 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 hold my drink. Watch this. (laughs) And and you, you better believe there's a lot going on with how the church is viewed. And the only way we're going to be a witness for Christ is if we can just, I mean, we should, right? We, we should see our identity primarily in being his sheep. And everything else comes, left, comes second. And we have a good shepherd. And our shepherd is king of kings and lord of lords. I, uh, so I've got to make this last point really quick, but that's okay. Because uh, we're not just forgiven, we're not just found in him. We're forged together in him. Because the easiest thing to overlook in this passage is all the, is that the you words are actually plural. It's you, it's we, it's us. Uh, it's us together. And, and, and going down, where is it, like verse 9, uh, uh, it's in chapter 2, it's in, I mean, it's all over about how we are being uh, built together. At the end of chapter 2, we're built together into a holy temple, being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. There's, there's a lot going on that we together are doing this together. If you look at Revelation uh, chapter 2, uh, it, it talks about uh, the church in Ephesus and how much they had endured. And it wasn't just, hey, you Ephesians individually, you've endured so much. You can tell that the Ephesians are enduring all this together. And God has every intention... And this is challenging for us because we contend in America to be so individualistic in our default thinking. Uh, But we are not just a collection of individual Christians. There is something more powerful going on in how he is working in us to make us to be a community. And and we know that... um, Well, I'll... I'll, I don't know. Uh, I'll say with this... I've learned some things about metal, and I've learned that forging and casting are two different processes. Casting is when you take some metal and you heat it up really hot and you just pour it into a form, and uh, and then and it solidifies. Then you have the thing. You have the engine part. You have the whatever it may be, a metal thing, in the shape you wanted it to be. But forging is different. 
Uh, forging is when you take the metal and you heat it a little bit, then you shape it, you hammer it, you heat it and shape it and hammer it. And you know, you know what's the strongest kinds of metals are alloys, which are mixed metals, diverse metals. When something is forged, it, it is generally stronger and more reliable than castings and plate steel uh, for, for a lot of reasons. God is shaping us as we together, individually and together, remember that the verdict is in. Remember that we are not merely cast here as, as some like, like random assortment of, of believers. That we're meant to be hammered together. And, and um, well, I'll have to continue more next week uh, on this. But Ephesians is all about identity transformation. Not just us individually, who we are, but us as a church, who we are. That's why we're, um, you know, and the Holy Spirit is our deposit, our down payment, our seal. Uh, you know, a seal is an important thing. Uh, in this sense, a seal is something that uh, in, indicates authority. Uh, when, when it says the Holy Spirit is, uh, that we are sealed with the Holy Spirit, it's not so much talking about Tupperware seal or uh, a glue seal, um, but it's like the blue check mark on a Twitter account. It guarantees that that is the celebrity you're talking about. It's like getting a letter from the governor with his seal or her seal uh, to know that's really from the governor. It's almost also like craftsman tools that with a craftsman logo on there, you know if the tool ever breaks. I don't know if you knew this. If a craftsman tool ever breaks, you get a new one for free. Uh, it's, it's their guarantee. Uh, it's like sealed using wax and a signet ring. That this is from God. This verdict is from Him. So it will stand forever. We can trust it. The Spirit also is inside us as our deposit in the seal, assuring us that this really is from Him. He helps us, applies this truth to us, helps us understand what is already ours in Christ. And so... Uh, so, you know, this is the kind of thing, I think I'll close with this, that I heard a story, like, what does this do? This, I heard a story of, of believers in China who were willingly going to help those who were dying of the coronavirus. They were going knowing there was a significant high risk. I mean, they didn't shed all necessary precautions. Like, they probably went with masks and gloves and everything. But knowing that going to minister to help physically those dying from the coronavirus, to, to share the gospel with those dying of the coronavirus. They knew that that would come at a great risk to them physically. And yet they did it. And what would make anyone, uh, is it, are they insane? No. They know far too well that, that God's mercy was wide enough to bring them into the kingdom. And they know that they are secure because of what Christ has done. And so they want to bring the wideness of God's mercy to those uh, who have not heard of it, that they too might be saved. And I did hear, in fact, of some believers who had come to faith through those Christians. He can transform us even to love that deeply. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, as we uh, look to your the wideness of your mercy, we pray that you uh, would show us uh, show us by your Spirit uh, the depth, the riches 
of your love for us, the, the nature of the grace which, which, with which you show us, with which you love us. And Father, just as, as we can be, see ourselves uh, enrobed in all kinds of clothing to identify with someone else, we remember Christ uh, who was stripped of his clothes and nailed to the cross who took our sins as though they were a garment to be found in them, to be counted as our sins, who died in them, was buried, but rose victorious in robes that were gleaming white to clothe us with his robes of white righteousness, that we we might be forgiven in him and found in him and forged together in him. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.